0: Before we start the message, uh, I wanted to uh, point something out that happened this week. Uh, that's actually good news. We don't get a lot of good news. But if you'd put a picture up on the screen, uh, please look at this guy. Yay. You know who this is? Yay. This is our own Brian. Brian, would you stand up, brother? You don't have to come up. Would you stand up? Stand up. So this is Brian Johnson. So, so you're probably wondering, if I brought, why, is, why is he up on the screen? Brian won Del Rio Employee of the Year. Aww. This is, now let me read this. This is a quote from the school. It said, he is the heart and soul of our school, and we are lucky to have him. Amen. Brian, brother, you are a credit to the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, your work ethic, your attitude, your service, and the fact that your peers recognize you. And you've been doing this job for how long now? Forty years. Forty years. Forty. If I do something correct... <laughs> man has do, done a job for 40 years and still has an excellent spirit and good attitude and being recognized, brother. It, it speaks volumes of you and the Lord in you. Amen. So we want to say congratulations, and we just want to let everyone know that we have a, a rock star stud yeah. amongst us. So, Brian, you're awesome. And Brian and Arlene, uh, this ministry uh, help is really it ran because you guys are here. You've done so much for the church. And Not to make this about you this morning, but this popped up and we had to let everybody know and just say thank you to both of you for your, your hearts. So, all right. That is is, is just just wonderful. But um, today is also our, our big Sunday, right? So our, our, our kids are in here, right? So it's a, it's a full family environment. So we will, um, A, I'll try not to speak too long for Miss Joe because Mark is back, so... We've got a lot of things. We've got kids in here, so no one wants to hear me talk a lot, so we're going to dive into it. Uh, but our, our topic, we've called this First John the Brilliance of the Basics, which uh, the idea is is when we read through 1 John, there's so many ideas, but all of these ideas are fundamental to Christianity. So sometimes, uh, actually a lot of times, we get asked when we have new like, where do I start? How do I do this? And really, the, the answers lie in, in some of these letters, right? It tells us how to be a Christian. It gives us all these tests. This is how you'll know you're a Christian. This is how you know you belong in the light. This is not how you're walking in love. This is how it gives us all these wonderful tests, right? So we're going to continue uh, the thread from last week. Uh, but we want you to be engaged. So if you have any questions, you can text that number. We will answer your questions. Uh, if you guys remember, Jared Heffley, he was one of our past elders. He's always called this uh, Stump the Chump. So you got a question? You want to put Trace and I on the spot because we don't get to like, study and look up at the answer, right? So we, we read it and we answer it. And we'll do our best. You can do that as well. But uh, next up, I want to put another image on the board. A uh, guy that's the exact opposite of Brian. Put this up here, please. Does anyone know who this guy is? is. Yeah, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? So he, uh, what uh, book did this come out of A movie? It's on the screen. I couldn't find an image without the title. Yeah, uh, A Christmas Carol, right? And uh, so this was uh, an old, old book. Oh, old, old, Not like the Bible, old. But, you know, 1800s, right? 1840s, uh, Charles Dickens, uh, uh, not a novel, a novella, right? Like a smaller, like enough to read and keep you entertained. And if you if you don't read Dickens, shame on you. You should You should read some Charles Dickens because it's good stuff. Um, but did you say shame on you? <laughs> no shame. Okay. There's no condemnation of Christ Jesus. You don't read It's so. a great author, and they're great. They're, they're great reads. But uh, I want to read a description of him. This is what Dickens wrote about his his character Ebenezer Scrooge. He says a squeezing. Wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as a flint, secret and self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. Like, what a description of a man. And, you well, know, why are we talking about Ebenezer Scrooge? Because what we're going to read right now in 1 John is going to be the exact opposite of Ebenezer Scrooge. He's going to talk about uh, the condition of our hearts and generosity. Amen. And does anyone remember last week's message if you were here? Pastor Trace, we looked at some verses where it says, how we love people is how we meet their needs. And then their expressed needs, their actual needs, right? So that's how we defined it last week. It's like, hey, we love our brothers. Like, when we see our brother needs something, and we have an ability to meet that need, right? So if somebody's hungry, and we have food. Does the love of God say, well, I'm going to save this for my leftovers for tomorrow? Or does the love of God say, let me feed this person? That's the question. You couldn't hear the question mark. But yeah, we give the food away, right? If we have resources and we see our brother in need, we're to give those resources. And so what happens in First John is John's going to flesh out this idea. And I want you to think about screws because this is a character we all know. And one the thing to me when I think of Ebenezer Screws, I, I always think of the fact is that he had the resources and he had an employee that worked for him, right? That couldn't pay the bills. That couldn't put food on the table. And that family that couldn't, remember Tiny Tim? Right? I mean, how do you forget these things, right? And this image of them just being grateful over the small, like, Cornish game. Right? And the fact that they have a guy here that just hides money away. And he could have been generous. They couldn't keep their house. Like, these are just such great images. And, I, and you can't help but reflect that this is what John is getting after. It's like, don't be or Scrooge, right? Like, this is not the love of God. As a matter of fact, the more we partake like ebony, the more we become like ebony. We get harder and harder part. harder. But let's read our text for today. This is found in 1 John 3.19. And as you, you flip there, it's going to be up on the screen. Uh, let us pray, and you can flip there. I'll pray really quick, and we'll dive into the words today. Heavenly Father, again, we stand before you humbled. Uh, stand before your word, the, the word of truth, Father. The means by which you've uh, revealed yourself and your will to us, Father, through your word and your spirit. So we pray today, Father, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit is speaking to this church this morning. Father, would you give us the grace and the boldness to change and make changes as as required as we study this. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, starting in verse 19, it says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. That he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Amen. So this text in verse 19 starts off with this By this we shall know that we are of the truth. Which should ask the question because we're picking this up cold from last week. By what? Right? We're starting off like last week we had a lot of text, so we couldn't group it together. So By what? So we have to go backwards in our Bible a little bit to figure out what John is talking about. In verse 11, it says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 17, But if anyone who has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Amen? So that's how we know that we are of the truth, that if we have this world's goods, we provide those goods to those in needs. Amen? Does that make sense? By this, we know that we're in the truth. So that's what John is saying. He's like, look, this is how you're going to know. In this uh, commentary I have by Colin Cruz, this is just excellent. I wrote this quote up on the screen, but here's how he states this. He says, John is reinforcing the exhortation to his readers not to close their hearts towards their fellow believers and they will know that they belong to the truth when their love finds practical expression in helping those in need. Amen? So we've, you know, oh, you guys are just beating this horse like crazy because the Gospel of John talks about this, right? Even every week we're talking about the love of God and how it's expressed. But again, this is brilliance in the basics, right? So if we're going to put anything into your head, is that love is the foundation on which this whole thing is built. The Gospel is built on love. The Bible says that God is love. That's right. You could have said light. You could have said anything. You said love. So thank you very much for that. Didn't make it weird for me. Right? Yeah, God is love. It's the essence of who He is. And love isn't just this feeling I get like, oh, Audrey batted her eyes at me. I love her. Well, yeah, we we, we do call that love, but it's so much more than that. Love, there's a John Mayer song called Love is a Verb. It's a good song. John Mayer is a good artist. Yeah. And it is, because what is a verb in our language? Verb uh, states what? It's an action, right? So love is action. Uh, John tells us, love shouldn't just be in our speech. It is good to tell each other how we feel, right? It's that's, that's a problem when people don't do that. We shouldn't tell each other. But what matters more, and Trace said this last week, is we should right? Love is a verb. Love is an action. And so if we're to love our fellow brothers, we ought to be doing something for them. Amen? And then it says, so for the text we're reading, verse 19 says, By this we shall know we're of the truth. And it's important, friends, because the Bible, as you read it, you're going to come across verses that say things like, Examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. This should be a reflection of ours. Like, hey, am I a Christian? Am I behaving like, we know we're a Christian, like, you've made the confession you have the spirit in you, but it is good to stop and say, Am I acting like that? Am I behaving like you shouldn't have self-evaluation? And this is what John is doing. By this you'll know that you belong to the truth if you have love for the brothers. So pause and ask yourself, Are my actions showing that I have love for the Lord Don't answer it out loud. Okay? Again, John is not his tone is not condemnation, it's change. Check yourself, right? It's not too late. It's never too late, right? Gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Every day is a new day, amen? It's, you pick up, we change, right? We're growing, sanctification is a process. But if you're taking notes, you should ask that. Does my life reflect who I say I am in Christ Jesus? And I'll tell you right now, mine does not. I'm challenged by this, right? I I have a long way to go, amen? Amen. So 19 and 20 again, it says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So what happens is if we're we're loving the brothers, the Bible speaks in this language, our heart does not condemn us. Everyone here has a heart, right? It's the inner man and the inner woman, right? It's the real you. You know what's going on. We can all play a game here. Like, the facade you see, now I try not to have a facade, which makes me seem a little bit rough around the edges, but I, I really work hard on trying to be the same person I am in church and out of church. That's not always line up, but it's like, man, that guy's a little bit rough around the edges because I'm trying to just be as authentic as I can and just to show you all the words, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not trying to be crass on purpose, if that makes sense, right? I'm not trying to make a point, like, I'm a real man, I'm just an idiot. <laughs> I'm doing my best. But... Still, there's still a mind inside me that is the real me. And there still are walls, right? And still, I, I know things about me that nobody knows. Amen? Could you say that about yourself too? Yeah. I know the secrets that I keep. But the Bible here says our hearts can condemn us. It, on topic, it means towards our love, towards our brothers, right? It says, uh, verse 20 says, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. So, you know everything but the scripture tells us here that somebody else also knows. And who is that person? God knows it. So what happens is, sometimes we can make excuses. Like, oh, I've loved the brothers. Really? Have you loved the brothers, right? And either our hearts are going to condemn us or not condemn us. But there's somebody else in the mix who is greater than hearts, who knows everything. Amen? That person is our, our God and Father. He knows this. He's only created that heart. And then his spirit dwells in us, in our heart. He's God has read all of your mail. Right? The Bible says there's nothing that is hidden from his sight. Everything. God knows you so well. The Bible uses this language that is so beautiful. It says he knows when you lie down and go to your sleep. He knows when you rise up in the morning. Right? He says he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows the pains and he knows the bruises. He knows how people have been wounded and spoken against you. He knows the opportunities that you've lost or taken. And it seems like, boy, that's scary because as a human, we want to hide these things. There are certain things about people I don't even like to think about or talk about it. Like, uh, my kids now call it cringe moments. Have you guys ever heard of this? Oh, that's cringe. But you don't want to think about, yes, Luke's on board with the cringe moments. You have, you're not old enough to have had enough of them, but you will do some things, my man, as we all do. Uh, but anyways, the point is, is God looks at that. And when we talk in the context of loving our brothers, we, I, I don't know about you, but my heart is condemned. Amen. Amen? And reading from Cruz, I want to read, it's not on the screen because it's a little more wordy. But let me read you this. It says, the statement, God is greater than our hearts, is the, in this context, seems to mean that God does not share in the meanness that is so often found in human hearts. His generosity is far greater. His compassion towards the needy much greater than theirs. This fact should function as a reason for them to overcome the meanness of their own hearts and to seek to be like their God. When the author continues, and he knows everything, he's reminding his readers that any meanness of heart on their part will not go unnoticed by an omniscient God. God knows what his people do and judges them accordingly. Amen. We're gonna. It's gonna get a little bit deeper here, but well, we read it already says, so like I'm gonna spoil anything. This is the command that you love one another. Loving people is not optional. And does God judge these things? Absolutely, He does. Right? God requires obedience. Amen. Amen. And it's not a tough thing. This is a good thing. Now I'm gonna get ahead of myself. Now, uh, there's, there's a great trend in Bible. Study. I mean, this has happened forever. So I, I mean, I should say it's a great trend that I'm waking up to in Bible studies uh, of understanding the New Testament through the lens of the Old Testament. Of so, this idea that there's patterns in the Bible that repeat themselves. Amen. And I love this because it just it's bringing the whole story together, right? Um, I like the term. Uh, there's a book called Echoes. Of the Old Testament the scriptures. This argument uses the term echoes. I like that. This idea that something was spoken that just kind of echoes, patterns, so you call it what you will. But this idea that John is quoting from actually comes from Deuteronomy. So let's go. I want to read this because this is pretty exciting. Because John is not saying something that God, this is not new, right? This is what God has always wanted for humanity. Look at Deuteronomy 15. It'll be on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 7 through 11. Listen to this. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has giving you. Look at this. You shall, what? Not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend to him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. I'm going to pause there. Remember, God says, like, he looks at the heart. <laughs> Right? If our heart condemns us, we see here that generosity and our love towards our brothers is a heart issue. Amen? Okay, keep in that mind. Take care, verse 9, take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye looks grudgingly on your poor brother. What that means is, every seven years, people got released from their debt back then. Right? He's like, oh, his debt's about to be waived, I don't need to help this guy out right now. That's what he said. right? And You look grudging on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, uh, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Who else has said that? Yeah, Jesus said the poor is always among you. Huh, I wonder where he got that from. He must have just came to him. Right? For there will never cease to be poor in the land. You know, I could ask you that question. Is it still true today? Yeah, that's true. Because the Bible said it, right? It'll never stop, friends. It doesn't matter what form of government, capitalism, socialism. It doesn't matter what we do. Like, people are always trying to solve this problem. But guess what? People will always find a way to become poor. Amen? I've done it a few times myself. It's easy, it's pretty easy to do. He says, therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Amen? So can you see how this is, this is what John is saying. Right? Like, hey, if your heart condemns us, like this you will know that you're in the truth because you love the brothers with your material goods. Right? You've met their need. And it says, if you've done this, our heart will not condemn us before God. It says, if you haven't done it, then our hearts condemn us. The Bible says God is greater than our hearts. And he knows all things. Deuteronomy is saying God gives the command. Right? He's giving this through Moses. The Ten Commandments have just happened at this point. Deuteronomy. Right? He the calf. And God, Moses, you know, comes back down and breaks the calves, and He starts all over again. He gives them the commands. And he starts unveiling the law. And this is one of the first things God says. You're going to love your brother. You're going to meet the needs. You see poor people. You have to help them out. Amen? Because the Bible says, God knows; right? He knows when that poor man cries out. Okay. Um, as a side note, this is free. It's so good. Uh, I heard this scholar was a uh, Dr. Heiser. Dr. Michael Heiser. He he says. Uh, he says he always encourages young believers to read the Bible like fiction. He said it's not fiction, but if we're reading a book and. What happens on page 10 will matter on page 200, right? In a fiction book, right? Like, we have character development, and the author is setting up all these things, right? Uh, does anyone here like to read fiction? I love fiction. I just love reading fiction. And if you've missed what's on page 10, if you could you grab Stephen King's best work, 11.263? It's a great way. Let's say Nick or Christmas. Let, let's do something a little more sanctified. Uh, we're reading uh, Christmas, and I open up the book and I just start the middle. Do you think I'm going to understand everything that happens in the last half? I might get the idea, but I'm going to miss an awful lot. And so his, his advice to read the scripture like fiction, not because it's false, is but it all matters. To test that. Some of it's going to be hard to understand, but get a working knowledge of it. So when you read these ideas of the New Testament, you're like, oh, this is Jesus and these guys aren't pulling this out of thin air. This is what God has always been about. And it helps you reconcile, it's like, one of the Objections to Christianity. Well, the God of the Old Testament seems a lot different than the God of the New Testament. Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever thought that before? And then you realize, oh, it's the same guy. It's us. We're the problem, right? And you start getting these big pictures. Okay. Free advice. Now, uh, picking back up in verse 22, um, and this is, we're not going to spend the rest of our time talking about here. This is wild. It says, whatever we ask... We receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is commandment, that we that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So, I really want to talk about this wild verse in 22. It says, whatever we ask for, we get. This sounds great. This is the verse you've been looking for. It's like, hey, is there somewhere in the Bible where it says God is obligated to do whatever I ask? Oh, we just found it, right? Let's get stupid and make some money right now, right? Let's figure this out. And look, this verse is abused, and I want to unpack this because there is a way where you partner with God and He answers your prayer. Even that sounds like it feels weird saying, right? But it it means something, right? We want to unpack this idea whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do whatever pleases him. Okay, so we should pause but this looks like an additional statement, right? God says I have access to answered prayers if I do two things. If I keep his command and I do what pleases him. Right? Okay. This is, this is wonderful. Okay, so we have to ask, what are his commandments? I wonder... Do I have a, uh, a. Yeah, okay, that's what I have. Do I have it out of order back there, Chris? I want to make sure I don't ruin it. Uh, but his commandment says, His commandment is that we believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. So, okay, the commandment is, is to believe and love. Right? Can you see that? Sometimes the Bible speaks in riddles and parables, and sometimes it lays it out. John does us a favor. Because Andrew prayer is very serious. She's like, let me give you. The equation. He says to obey the commandments and to believe on Jesus Christ. Right? To have faith and obey. Do you see that? So now he also had another thing. He says we have to please him. Now I'm wondering. Oh, oh, wait a we have to understand how to please him. Ephesians 5.10 says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So this becomes a little more challenging because we have. I was like, oh, I want God to answer my prayer. So I have to obey his commands. His commands are to love people and to believe in Jesus. And now I have this wild card. I have to figure out what pleases him. Do you see that? Are you tracking with me? Now don't think I'm going to get all weird here. Can I, some, I can already see some of your guys like, where is this going? Like, Mike just gave me the equation to answer prayer. Like, you know that I'm setting you up for a fall here, right, right? But just let's track this idea. Let's track how this is reading out here. So how to please him. Ephesians tells us, try to discern this. Now, as we're going to try to discern what pleases him you have to realize that God has also put safeguards in his words to prevent weirdness with the scripture. Right? Because when I was immature, and I still am a little bit, but I would actually look at the Bible as an equation. Hey, if I could figure out what A plus B is, I want C. Now, who here wants answered prayer? Please raise your hand. Would you like God, when you pray to answer your prayers. Almost all of you, that's weird. Okay. But let's just—you would think it would be hundred <laughs> percent. I don't know. Well, you don't have to pay attention if, if you're ones that don't care. <laughs> maybe this doesn't matter. But if I see something that says this is how you get your prayers answered, I'm very interested in finding out what that is on a personal level, Christian. I just want to know, right? If you told me, like, I remember when I was in the Air Force, and, and you know, the goal was—I don't know why—it's kind of abstract. But it's like I want to make a hundred thousand. That's just what I thought when I got out of the Air Force. You know what seems like a comfortable living? Uh, this is in the 90s, right? It's like, man, it'd be really awesome to make a year. So he's trying to figure out so how do I make $100,000 a year? Like, somebody give me the equation. Somebody give me the formula. Some people say it's college. Some people say you got to start a business. Some people you got go to go the sales. If you all gone down this route, like how do I? I want to see how do I get that. Okay. So John seems to be telling us that. Obey. And please God. But the safeguards are Hebrews 11.6. It says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. Okay? Whoever uh, would draw near to God must believe that he exists and reward those who seek him. Amen? Oh, you know what, Chris? Do I have the backwards back there? Are we going in order? Oh. I put it wrong on my slide. And, uh, here. But anyways, we'll just go with what I have going on and pray that it works out. Another safeguard, Hebrews 13, 16. Uh, do not neglect to do good and share with what you have. You know what? I, I'm out of, guys, I apologize here. Can I pause here for a second? Chris, you, we're going to go out of order from back there um, and, and talk about this. Um, so we, we're talking about safeguards. That's where I left you. Um, so the reason why we have safeguards is... Because God is not an equation. Let me just cut to the pun. I want to set something up correct, and so I'm going to butcher this part to get to the better point. Okay? Is God is not an equation. Right? Matter of fact, Chris, if you'd put up there, there's a picture there of a guy in blue. God is not a gene. <laughs> right? Our, our big mistake is to actually think like this that, that we can work God like I want you get this out of your head. Okay, well, I want to dive into the safeguards. I want, to, I want to talk about how this really works in the big picture. And I really messed it up because I put my slides in the wrong I was pacing perfectly to you, Joe. I was going to get us out of here. It's going to be at least another 40 minutes. <laughs> but, God is not a genius. Get that out of your head. God cannot be worked like an equation, right? You cannot hold his strength. If I do this, God is obligated to do that. God says, if you do this, I will do that. He knows your heart. He's not going to be manipulated by you. Amen? Mm-hmm. You are not superior or smarter. Let's go to James 4, 2-3. I'm going to read this. It'll be up on the screen. I'm sorry, it's going to be. Oh, cool. I see it on the screen. There we go. It says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Look at this next one you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions see when we try to manipulate god to get an answered prayer he already knows the condition of our heart like anyone that would try to manipulate god obviously is a greedy person right why would you try to work god like equations because you want something whatever that may be and that is a safeguard right there because god knows the intent of our hearts 1st peter 3:7 Says this, here's another safeguard. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, how do you treat your wife and completely wreck your prayer? Did you know that? Well, look what it says, so your prayers may not be hindered. Did you know that? It's. Why? Because God commands men to love their wife like Christ loved the church. We see this tie into love again, right? There's all these things that wreck a prayer life. Right? So this idea is like, hey, if I base commandments, commandments, I do it, please, I get what I want. The problem is, is God is after the whole person, right? And once we realize that whole person is being worked out, you are walking in partnership with God, your prayers actually begin to look a lot more problem-focused. That's when God gets involved. Amen? Because these are not selfish prayers; these are prayers focused on loving people, meeting need, meeting them where they are. Amen. Okay. Chris, i am jump around here. I want to make sure you got what I have. First John five fourteen says this, and this is the confidence that we have towards Him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So here's another safeguard: it has to be according to his will. Okay. Boy, that's the big stickler, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, great, that's His God's big right to understand. And the big question that trips up Christians is: uh, with answering prayer, because uh, we all know the scripture, it's like, well, I-, I hear so many people say, well, God, I don't know if this is your will, right? And they pray. But the Bible says is we have to have faith. Like, he who comes to God and must believe. Right? So how do I have faith when I don't know God's will? Right? So all these things begin to trip us up. But how can you really have faith for something? You don't know how this works. Well, my advice to you first is, our faith isn't what God is going to do. Our faith is in God, who is able to do it. Amen? The Bible says, is God's arm shortened that he cannot save? Is there anything too hard for God? Can God regrow them? Can God raise a body on the ground? Can God provide money? Can God raise manna from heaven? Right? Can God have the earth open up and swallow the people? Yeah. He can do anything he wants. He spoke the world into existence. Amen? So our faith is in the one who can do anything. Our God is able. It's good to remember that. Right? That's how we build our faith up. And to me, is we bring our requests before him. Now, we have to start thinking that this is how I view the Bible, you can disagree with me, but I think God's will is expressed through his word. I can learn an awful lot about God's will by reading this. Now, I may not know that God wants me to move to Dallas. That's not in the Bible. Michael, move thine self to Dallas, right? It doesn't say that. So there are things I have to get through prayer and all those kind of things. But for the most of my daily challenges, I can understand God's will here. Now, was Jesus the express image of God's will? Did Jesus do what God commanded him to do? So when Jesus walked the face of this earth, I can get a good idea of what God wants for humanity by looking at our Savior. Amen? Matter of fact, he is the benchmark for us. So this is how I think about it. Again, you can disagree. But does God uh, heal people? I say absolutely because I look at what Jesus does. The scripture tells us in James, it says, Is anyone sick? Let them call for you, let them go to the altars of the church, and they will pray. And their prayer of faith will what? Deal the sin. God has given us a recipe when we have these problems, right? Does God want us provided for? Does God want to make sure you're fed? Yes. Yeah. What did Jesus do? He fed people, right? The Bible says to meet other people's needs, because God God is so concerned with you having your needs, met. that's he tells us to make sure that's done. Amen? <clears throat> and this is what we're talking about today. Right? So praying for these things. Now, uh, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think it's okay to pray for these things because I see this will expressed. Now how it plays out, that, that is up to God. The Bible says a man's days are numbered by the Lord. So if I pray for healing for somebody, I realize you know, now I to just put that into a sovereign God's hands. Right? You couldn't say it before, but I heard uh, a guy say this. He says, "My job is not to believe what God is going to do. My my job no, my job is not to pray what could happen. My my job is to pray what I would like to happen." Right? It says, "Make your requests known to God." As far as I'm concerned, God, I'm praying that you heal the bruise. That's what I would like. That we have a sovereign God who also has a in that. Amen. that's how faith works. This is. This is what pleases Him. This is how we're, we're doing these things. And that's how we, we think about His will. I don't know, but I do know He's able. Amen? I do know that He has done it, and that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ the same. His passion for humanity, right? His empathy, his, all these things. He's the same God. Amen? He, the Bible says in the Old Testament, the Lord your God changes not. Amen? Doesn't change. He's always the same. So I'm going to jump back here. We're going to wrap with this idea. So we were talking about what pleases him. So to partner with God. Hebrews eleven six again. Says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So here's the first area to please him: faith. Amen. So the commandments are to believe the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to please God. The scripture tells us the first thing is faith is just absolutely necessary. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Hebrews 13:16 says this. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, being generous with humanity is pleasing to God. Now, this is going to get really weird. The commandment was to believe on Jesus and to love people. Do that, and He says to have answered prayers. We have to please Him. To please God is we have to believe. And love people. You see that the two of the same things; that the commandments and to please Him are the same exact things. Again, First John tells us the key to answering prayer is obeying the commandments and pleasing Him. First John tells us what the commandments are: believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, faith, and love people. We read in Hebrews that what pleases God is faith and meeting the needs pleasing, and the commandments are the same thing. Okay, are you guys seeing this? Okay, it's the same thing. So what pleases God is obeying His commandments. you see that? It's obedience. You know the secret answer to prayer? Obedience. That's what God wants. Obey. And His commandments aren't burdensome. They're, they're here for us. As Christians, we're not living in the old covenant like we have all these wild things we have to do. Here's the commandment. Here's the commandment. Love people. You self-sacrifice. You share the gospel. You be honest. Do all things as unto the Lord. These are good things. The commandments here for our embedment and the embedment of our society and our people. Amen. Obey the gospel. Be saved. If you do that, the Bible says that whatever you pray, God will do. Well, that's wild. What an idea. Because if you're living your life like that, that is not a selfish life. That is not a me centered life where you're praying, Lord, give me, bless me, heal me, provide for me, give me more stuff. You know, the Bible says there's things that are never satisfied, like the leech, right? The grave. More, more. This kind of person says, bless, heal, help, protect, show them, forgive them. That's what a Christian is. They pour out, they don't preserve up, they pour out. Right? You don't build bigger barns, right? We give one. And yeah, well, how does faith work? that? Well, faith says, as I give out, I'm trusting God to keep replenishing. <laughs> Amen. God doesn't give you before you've already given. Right? You give and then He gives. That's the caveat. because that's why faith is concerned. I trust you, God. I don't know. I I see a need. I, I want to give something to the church, or I want to buy this family of groceries this month. And boy, I'm going to be $100 upside down if I do this. I don't see how this works out. What does faith say? Well, God, you said, I, I see it, and I'm going to meet this to I, I know you'll figure it out. And not doing it because I want to pull God's strings like a genie in a puppet. That's where your heart's wrong. And then you're going to find yourself broken at $100. I'm doing this because I love this person like Jesus loves me. And I see a need. And when Jesus saw a need, what did Jesus do? He met the need. He fed. He healed. He loved. He admonished. He corrected. Right? These are all needs. I need to be corrected. I need to be admonished. Frightened. Whatever this thing looks like. And now let's talk about praying for other people. So the Bible is not against you praying for yourself. We know this. But I would actually argue that most of your prayers should be outward focused. I think we see this model in the Bible. There's weird things that happen that just make no sense. So you guys remember a guy named the Apostle Paul? And we know this guy. Paul says he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, he was the, the real man's Jewish guy, right? A Jew through and through. And he was very high up in the system. Now one day he's riding to a city and he's about to be blinded. Do you ever remember the name of the city? He's going to Damascus. Right? He comes out of heaven. Him on and stuff, right? He's blind. So they take him by hand and say, This guy's really blind. Not like, you know, when you walk outside and the sun hits in the eyes and you squint. Like, he's blind. He's got scales on his eyes. God is blind in the sky. Now, God also speaks to him during the time, right? Remember this? Saul, Saul, what does he say? Why are you persecuting me? Is it so hard to kick against the goads, what the King James says, right? Like, boy, you're just you're doing everything wrong here, buddy. So Paul gets taken to the city. God has a plan for Paul, but God decides to use, God is already speaking to Paul, but he decides to speak to somebody to go talk to Paul. Okay, so he talks to him. He says, I want you to go and lay hands on Paul, go pray for him, and he can receive a sight. You guys remember the story? You have to think to yourself, God, Jesus, you're already speaking to Paul. You can do anything. Why are you involving this guy? Why does this guy have to go down there and talk to Paul? Why does this guy have to go to prayer? Do you see how God uses people? Not in a bad way, like we use people, but God uses people. We are actively involved in this plan. Friends, God wants you actively praying for people. Actively. What if that guy told God, no, I'm going to pray for Paul. Because he kind of said that, right? Like, hey, this guy's murdered Christians. You want to be sure I got the right guy? And God tells him what the plan is. God didn't mean to do that. right? And you think, it's like, well, what do my prayers do? Friends, God doesn't need us, but his desire is to use us. He made us for this purpose. The reason when you, you know, we get saved and we don't get raptured up is because God has plans for you here, and they involve other people. You're not you. You're good. You're saved. Right? Now, God has to work out your sanctification. But the church exists for the sole purpose of people that don't belong to it. Right? This is great, but we're here for the people that are outside these walls. A dying man. And they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And the Bible says that Satan has blinded their minds. So the Bible says we're in the light. This is how we know we're in the light. Now you imagine a community that truly sacrificially loves one another it doesn't look a lot different to the outside. Now people in America right now, they look in the church, they see a lot of fighting. They see a lot of politics, right? I mean, all these things you see, it's like whatever we think about the church. It is a church divided, even amongst our denominations, right? We've got the free will guys, we've got the sovereign guys, we've got the charismatic guys, we got the, you know, the spirit doesn't do anything guys, and we are so divided. And that's all we care about is talking about our differences. That's the national discourse. Let's not talk about where we have common ground. Let's talk about how we can fight let me tell you why I'm right. We're more concerned with being right than we are obeying the commandment. To love people. Meet their needs. Why should it matter if you need a meal if you're a Democrat or a Republican? Who cares? Jesus is not He's not. Jesus is not an American. He's not Russian. He's not, you know what I mean? He's the king of the world. He's the creator of all of us. Uh, there's a song from the 90s and it and, it's, and the guy's singing about uh, racial problems back in the 90s you guys remember the band Creed? I can tell you what it is and the song is called One but at the very end he says at the very end we all meet our maker together we all go to the same place like right? final different destination but we're, we're all going into the ground and the great lie Satan has told us is these divisions the bible says there are seven, six things the Lord hates, seven things that are an abomination to him, and one of them is those who sow discord among their brother. See, it's our hatred that stops us from loving. Last week, or two weeks ago, that was last week, Trace talked about Cain, right, because the scripture talked about, don't be like Cain, who killed his brother. Like, we would be like Jesus, like, the one who died, not the murderer, but the one who died. That's our way. Boy, I think it's awfully hard, but I hope you're seeing this. Because this is how we assure our hearts before him. So our hearts don't condemn us. So I can walk in partnership with God as his eyes, his feet, and his hands, and my prayers get answered because I'm going after the humanity of Jesus was after. Right? That's how you can answer your prayer. It's like, I'm being you on this earth. Right? I see the need, and I'm trying to meet it. And it's like, oh, Lord, would you do this for this person? And you have a sovereign God up and say, Yeah. Like Jesus, I am willing. Amen. It's not on the screen, but I just want to remind you of this scripture. In John 14:15. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. All right. So what's the basic we're going to learn here today? Is that obeying the commandments is the foundation of Christianity. That it is not a cheap grace that we have been saved by. We've been saved for a purpose. The purpose is that we can now finally obey these commandments. We couldn't do it in the Old Testament because our hearts are too hard. And the law was too heavy. Nobody could do this. The Bible says Jesus came. Galatians tells us that he, he just did not He fulfilled this. right? He got rid of the penalty of the law. So we're not under this law anymore. But now we're under what is called the law of grace. And Jesus said, This is what this law looks like. Believe do that, you fulfill these things. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.